If I was in my car right now, I would hit automatic rewind and I would just listen to that one over and over and over again. I remember my sixth birthday. I don't remember what I got as far as presents go, but I remember my sixth birthday because as exciting as a, an event like that is to a little child, it was the next day that stood out. I remember we were in school, and all of a sudden, somebody, the principal, I believe it was Mr. Gould, came door to door in our little country school and just announced to everyone, the President of the United States has been shot, and so we need to pray. That was a public school. That was a public school. I was fortunate to go to public school when you prayed and you started every day that way and you memorized the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and things like that. I remember how quiet everything got. I was six years old. I knew who the president was, President John F. Kennedy. I'd never, never met him and I couldn't tell you a lot about him. Again, I was a six-year-old boy, but there was, there was something about it that just grabbed a hold of our little hearts. It was a different kind of day, and I remember going home, and my mom already had the television set on, and there was a lot, lot going on, and everything was about it. No matter which of the three channels you turned to, that was, that was the story. And as a six-year-old boy, I remember that night, as Walter Cronkite addressed the nation and said, the President of the United States has died. How, how many can remember that day. Again, we, we didn't know him. We just knew who he was, but that was our president. Didn't matter at that point whether you were Republican or Democrat. It was, we are Americans and our president has died. And it was a tough thing. I remember some days later, the funeral. And I remember his son, John, who was about my age, just standing there as the horse-drawn carriage went by with his father's coffin on that, and that little boy just like this, and I believe he even saluted at one point his father. Some images just burned in at the loss of our leader. Would you go back in time with me a little further than the 1960s and go back 2,000 years ago, thereabouts, and huddled in an upper room, there are 11 distraught men. There's a company of ladies that joined them and maybe some other men and they are, they are just shaken to their core because their leader, their master, the man who they believed was the Christ, the Messiah, was murdered right before their eyes. The crucifixion was a slaughter. The crucifixion, there was nothing glamorous, nothing easy about it. Hollywood has tried to duplicate what happened on that day, but probably no one can even come close to the reality of that, especially for those who knew the Lord Jesus Christ the closest and the best. They had seen him betrayed. They had seen him hauled off in the middle of the night. A couple of them, Peter and John, were there as the soldiers mocked him and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they tried to beat it into a skull with a reed. They blindfolded him and said, Prophesy thou, thou, thou Christ, who is it that smote thee? 
They, were, they, they may have seen the beating with the cat of nine tails. His body uh, so, so ravaged by the beating that by the time he hung on the cross, the prophet Isaiah, looking down through the lens of prophecy, said his visage was more marred than any man. What that means is when the people looked at him, hanging naked upon that cross, he did not even look like a human being any longer. He just looked like a slaughtered animal. But he was alive. He was alive. They were there as he cried out for water, saying, I thirst. Some of them were there and heard the conversation between the thieves, that one on each side of him, who at first mocked him and, and, and joined in with all the jeers coming from the, the chief priests and the scribes. But at some point, one of those themes, and one of those themes stopped the, the mocking and I don't know where he got the strength. He cried out to the other guy, said, leave him alone. You and I deserve to be here, but this man has done nothing amiss. He had understood that that, was, that man on the middle cross was unlike any other man that has ever walked the face of the earth. He was truly the sinless, only begotten son of God. And he was being murdered for no crime that he had ever done, for he had done none. And that man looked over at Jesus, and with whatever little strength he had, he cried out the words, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And there he is dying himself, and the Savior looks over, and he says those, those immortal words, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We know that John was standing at the foot of the cross. John heard that conversation. John heard as he cried out, It is finished. He heard him as he cried out, Father, into thine hands I commit my spirit. They watched him die. There were a group that came by, took the body down from the cross, wrapped it hastily in some linen cloths and placed it in the tomb of a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. One by one, the disciples that had scattered the, uh, the night before found their way back to an upper room and they were together and you can only imagine the weeping. This was a collective loss. This was someone that they loved, someone that they trusted, someone they believed in, and someone whom they had failed. Every one of them, along with Peter, said, we'll never deny you. Peter was the most vocal. Peter gets all the credit. But the Bible said, and so said all the disciples. Yet when the moment came, they all fled into the darkness. Oh yeah, Peter's the one that denied him thrice, but nobody else stood beside him. Nobody stood to defend him against the soldiers. They just looked out for themselves and ran away and left them alone. And now they're here dealing with their guilt, dealing with their loss, and dealing with a fear that many of us cannot understand. When the Taliban took over Afghanistan a couple of summers ago, there are believers, there are churches that existed in Kabul, the capital city. I heard a recording that was, was taken from one of those churches and they were barricaded in. The Taliban was hunting them like animals. You could hear the pounding and there was a translator telling us what these dear saints of God were saying. And they were saying, they're here, they're here to get us. This is the moment that we are going to die. The door burst open, there's gunfire, there's silence. 
That's what the apostles thought was going to happen to them. The Bible says they were assembled in fear of the Jews. They were afraid that the same people that nailed Jesus to the cross were going to come and find them and destroy his followers as well. So I can see all the windows are barricaded up and the door is locked and they're trying to be quiet and each one has his personal grief. They have their collective grief and so forth. And then all of a sudden came the pounding on the door. Can you just see everybody as they're startled? Can you see the, the, the disciples looking at each other and said, this is it. This is it. We're going to die. And somebody somehow opened the door because they recognized the voices. It wasn't men. It wasn't soldiers that were crying out. It was, it was some ladies and they weren't sobbing and they weren't screaming in fear. There was, there was laughter and, and, and there was joy. And they could hear it through the door. A week or so ago, I preached in Pennsylvania. And the church put me up at a very elegant hotel uh, and so forth. And, and uh, it was one of these things like, I think I'm going to sell my house and move in here. But right next to me, I found out the next morning was, was uh, a, a somewhat of a big suite. And a bridal party was in there. They were in there. there. There was no music or anything like that. It was a bunch of women a whole room full of women, and they all laughed like Trina. <laughs> Those of you who are visiting have no idea what that means. My wife, Trina, she's in heaven now, but she had a laughter that could be heard from one end of Walmart to the other. Imagine an entire suite full, filled with women trying to outlaugh each other. That's what was going on outside the door as these ladies kept pounding and finally they, they opened the door and these ladies are crying and laughing at the same time. And, and you, you're not going to believe. And, and one's talking about an angel and one's talking about a stone that was rolled away and, and they're trying to get a word in edgewise. And, and finally it just came to this. He's risen. He's risen. The tomb is empty. He's gone. We looked inside. He's gone. The angel told us he is risen. And all of these people were sitting there going, what on earth? What on earth are you talking about? Peter and John at least had the sense to follow them back and looked into the tomb and sure enough, he was gone. Sure enough, he was risen. And do you understand with those three words, he is risen, everything changed. In that one moment, those three simple words, everything changed. Would you understand that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the hope and the promise of brand new life emerging from the darkness of approaching death? Death is inevitable. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it, but it is inevitable. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. Uh, Moses said in Psalm 90, we spend our years as a tale that is told. And then he goes on, we're like though the grass that it's here today and then it's mowed down and then it just blows away and it's gone. He said, that's, that's what human life is like. A tale that is told once upon a time, the end. And death is coming and we can't escape that. Uh, the, the Bible says, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And death is that darkness that hangs out in the front and, and that it's that which we seek to avoid in every way that we can, but it's coming our way. Do you realize that without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, death would be worse than darkness? 
Because you see, the Bible says there's something called a second death. Revelation talks about it. Liars, unbelievers, idolaters, murderers, sorcerers, all types of wickedness that human beings uh, uh, commit. The Bible says all those people will be cast into a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it, especially on Easter Sunday. We think, well, we ought to be talking about something other than that, something a little brighter. But see, that's what the resurrection is. It's the bright spot in all of that darkness because the resurrection tells us that there is a God who loved us so perfectly, so completely, so supremely. His desire was not that one single person should perish and experience that second death in a lake of fire. And so God so loved this wicked world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life but you mark it down and listen to this if Christ had stayed in the grave that meant that death won and you and I would have no hope of eternal life but wasn't not the Savior in John chapter 11 said I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he lived on that Sunday morning when the Savior walked out of the tomb and by that evening, he had shown himself alive to, to the ladies. He had shown himself alive to Peter. He had shown himself alive to the disciples and, and, and soon to, to witnesses all over Judea and Galilee. And we have the record of the word of God that he is risen. He is alive because he's a risen savior. He can give us that eternal life that he promised. Amen. Everlasting life. The resurrection gives us the hope of that. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I grew up in a church that taught me if I was a good person, I might get to heaven. I might get to heaven. Um, think about it for a moment. If we could get to heaven by being a good person, then why did Jesus die on the cross? There are churches that teach that you get to heaven by joining that church. Well, if a church could get us to heaven, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why, did he be, why was he buried and raised again? It's because good works, they might be fine, but they don't get rid of sin. I think church is important. I ought to, I'm a pastor. And obviously you do as well, you're here. I think church is important, but church cannot get rid of your sin. You can put all the money that you have in the offering plate, thank you very much, but that won't get rid of your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and was buried and raised again to, to let us know there is hope beyond the grave because he lives, we can live also in him. I remember the first time I heard the gospel message loud and clear and plain that as a sinner, I would never be good enough for heaven. As a sinner, therefore, I needed a savior. And how that God sent Jesus to live the life I couldn't. And how he died on the cross in my place. He was a sacrifice. He was a substitute. And, and Jesus did that because he loved me. He loved you so much that he wanted us to spend eternity in heaven with him. But our sin had to be paid for. It had to be paid for. I couldn't pay for mine unless I went to a lake of fire. 
I couldn't pay for yours because I've got my own to pay for. But Jesus was sinless. He had no sin to pay for, so he voluntarily paid for our sins on the cross. Let that sink in for just a moment. Let that sink in. That's how much Jesus Christ loves you and I. Because he paid for sin, we don't have to because we can't. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I enjoy gifts. Anybody with me on that? You want to give me a gift? I'll I'll take it, unless it's a snake. Yeah, he said he has one. You can just keep it. Sleep with it, kiss it, eat it. I don't care what you do. That's the gift. I guarantee you I'm going to turn down. But pretty much anything else, I enjoy a gift. And gifts are wonderful things. They they really are. If I were to pull out this expensive pen that I got sent to me in the mail for free, if I were to pull out this pen and and I I were to say, Brother Rob, I would say this this pen is a gift from me to you. Rob, what do you have to do to make it yours? No, you have to give me money. (laughs) But wait a minute, that's not how gifts work. How How many of you have to pay for your own birthday present? If you do, you need to find a new family or new friends, okay? Because something's really messed up there, okay? Um, No, if it's a gift you don't have to pay for, that's a purchase. If I held it out to him and said, this is a gift from me to you, if you wash my car, you can have it. That's not a gift, that's a wage. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. If I have to pay for it myself, it's not a gift. If I have to earn it somehow... It's not a gift, but it is a gift. It is freely given to us by God, by his grace. And God says, I want you to have it. My son died on the cross. He's provided it for you. He's been raised again from the dead to prove that he's not only conquered sin, your sin, he has also conquered death. And he's alive and wants to give you that eternal life. All you have to do is take it. But that's an act of the will. See, God's held that gift out since man fell in the garden of, uh, of Eden. God gave the promise of a savior on that very dark, fateful day and said, one day the seed of the woman is gonna crush the serpent's head. That's the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. And God has extended his, his, his offer of mercy and grace saying, I wanna save you, I wanna give you eternal life, but you have to decide with an act of your will, I'm gonna receive Christ as my savior. I've been saved for 51 years. I have talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people on an individual basis, and I've taken them through the Bible. I've shown them from the Bible that we're not saved by our our works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I've taken them all the way through the gospel, that salvation is is yours by receiving Christ, as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. And we receive him by calling upon the name of the Lord and asking him to be our Savior. I've gone through the plan of salvation, again, with hundreds, if not thousands of people one-on-one, and it is amazing how many times I'll get all the way through it. They've seen it from the Bible. Well, I've got my own way. No, no, there's only one way. It's not a Baptist way. 
It's not my way. It's not your way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, well, I, I think I'm a good enough person. No, the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's amazing how many people God is offering them the gift of eternal life and they make some flimsy excuse and say, well, I, I think uh, my way is okay. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I remember the day that I understood that gospel message as a 14-year-old boy. It was a Monday afternoon. I'd been wondering for years about what was going to happen when I died. Like I said, I grew up in a church that said, if you're a good enough person, you might make it. That offered me no hope because I had enough whoopings in life to know that I wasn't always a good boy. I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't chew, and I didn't date the girls who do. You know how that one goes. I wasn't in a gang and hadn't committed murder, but I knew I was a sinner. I knew I'd done enough wrong in my life that I had sin. And so I'm living under this false illusion that if I'm good enough, but there was something inside that said, son, you're not good enough. Then I heard the gospel that he was. And he paid for my sin. And all I had to do was receive Christ as my savior. God was offering it to me. Just like I'm holding this pen out right now, God was offering me the gift of eternal life. They gave what was called an invitation. I'd never been to a church that did one of those before. And the invitation was just simply this. Look, you've heard the gospel message. If you would like to receive Christ as Savior, why don't you come forward? We'll have somebody take a Bible, walk you through the scriptures to make sure you understand and lead you to receive Christ as your Savior. And at that moment, I froze. I'd never heard of an invitation before. I, I didn't know what they were going to do. I, I knew I wanted what they were talking about. I knew I wanted to be sure that I was going to go to heaven someday. I, I, I believed that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and raised again and, and all of that, but I was still trusting my church and my good works to get me to heaven. So I stayed firmly rooted in my seat. The invitation came and went. God was offering me eternal life, and I, I didn't say no. I just didn't say yes. Um, ladies, uh, or uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to address ladies or, or gentlemen. How many in here have ever, let's talk to guys. How many of you guys have ever proposed marriage to somebody? I did twice. They both said yes, by the way. I changed the one and married the right one. Um, you understand when you pop the question, you're looking for only one answer. Yes. The night I proposed to Trina, I took her out to a nice restaurant for dinner, and I was so nervous about this whole thing, and, and I went, I had this field practice, and, and, and it took me like forever to finally get the question out uh, and all that, and, and uh, all I wanted her to say is, yes, I, I, I'd love to marry the most handsome man in the world. Uh, I, I just really wanted to hear it. So I finally said, Trina, I, I, I'd love you, and, and, and I want you to, to, to marry me and be my wife and spend the rest of your life with me. And I'm sitting there in this restaurant. I've got the ring in my pocket and I'm ready for her to say yes. And she told me a story. Talk about rabbit trails. She told me a story. And I'm just sitting there saying, can I take this back? What, what in the world's going on? 
And her story had a point to it and, and so forth. And I, I never found out what it was, but uh, in her mind, it had a point to it. And finally, after a 10 minute story, she said, yes. And that's what I wanted to hear. And beloved, would you understand the offer of eternal life is the same way. As God holds that out to you, he's waiting for a yes. I'll think about it. That's the same as no. Maybe later, that, that's a no. By the way, maybe later is a dangerous answer because whereas ye know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then poof, it vanisheth away. Well, I'll get saved next time I come to church or I'll get saved next month. You don't know that you have next week. You don't know that you have next month. What you know is you have today. And the Bible says repeatedly today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't say no to the greatest offer you'll ever have. And that is to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. To have your sins forgiven and remembered no more and, that, and to receive that gift. The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that there's hope for eternity, that Jesus is the Savior, that yes, he conquered sin with his death on the cross. He conquered death with his resurrection. The question this morning is, have you received the gift? I'm, I'm holding a pen in my hand as an illustration, but have you received the gift? I told you I heard about it on a Monday and I knew I wanted to be saved. I knew I wanted to go to heaven. I knew they were telling me the truth from the Bible. I knew it. God was speaking to my heart. But I would not go forward and let somebody show me and make sure I understood so I could receive Christ. I went back on Tuesday. I went back on Tuesday. Heard a different sermon, but the same truth at the end about knowing for sure you were going to go to heaven someday. And, and, and for a second time, it was held out to me. I mean, it was offered to me. And I don't know why I said no on the second day, but I didn't go forward then either. I went back on Wednesday, and they, they different, different sermon, but they brought it to the same point. Will you receive God's gift of eternal life? I went home Wednesday night, and I got to thinking about all those nights I worried about where I was going to spend eternity. By the way, I was a teenage boy. I was 14. I had started thinking and worrying about that since I was a kid. What, what comes after death? Am I going to go to heaven someday? And here I've got it from the Bible. I, it's been offered to me, and, and I keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And the thought came to me, I wonder how many more chances I'm going to get. So I went back to church on Thursday. It was like a, a vacation Bible school type thing. And I sat there with a, the same group of teenagers and the same guy, his name was Mr. Keith. He stood up there and he, he preached a different sermon, but he brought it back to the same question. If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And my answer was, no, I don't. I didn't say it out loud, but inside I, I was screaming at myself, no, I don't. He said, would you like to know for sure you're saved? And again, not out loud, but in my heart, I'm thinking, yes, absolutely get to the point where he asked us to come forward and he did and I was out of my my seat so fast I came to the front and, a, and an off-duty police officer named Shirley took a Bible and sat down with me took me through John 3 16 uh, point by point for God so loved the world that's me 
that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, that's the wages of my sin, but have everlasting life, that's salvation, walked me through and said, would you like to receive Christ as Savior? And that day, I didn't let the offer go. I took it. And it was, the, it was the most important decision that I ever made. And I've been able to say with a confidence, not a bragging, not an arrogance, not a self-righteousness, that at any point in the last 51 years, should I have passed away, I would immediately be in the presence of the Lord because that's what the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present for, uh, with the Lord for those that have received Christ. We celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection speaks of that hope of eternal life. It takes away the pain, the mystery, the darkness, the worry of both physical death and spiritual death. I realize I'm speaking to a room and a lot of people in here are saved. Your story might be different than mine, a different place, a different circumstance, but you heard the same gospel. There's only one gospel message. There's, there's only one plan of salvation, but you heard it. It might have been at home with your mom and dad. It might have been in, in school. It might have been in Sunday school. It might have been in the workplace. It might have been you picked up a gospel tract and in the quietness of your car or a motel room, you read that gospel tract and, 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 and you received Christ as your savior. But I, I know I'm talking to dozens and scores of people today and you could stand up and give a clear testimony of the day you received God's gift. But it will not surprise me that there's a whole bunch of people in this room that are like I was that Monday and that Tuesday and that Wednesday and even on that Thursday as I sat there, I knew about the gift. I knew that Jesus died on the cross. I knew that he was buried and that he was raised again and now I knew why. He did all of that to save me from my sin so that I could have eternal life. And maybe you're like that today, but you've just never reached out by faith and received Christ as Savior. As a pastor, as a Christian, as a friend, can I encourage you to today, Easter Sunday, 2023, would you make the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ yours? Would you reach out by faith and receive Christ as Savior. I'm not talking about joining this church. That won't get you to heaven. I'm not talking about getting baptized. Won't get you to heaven. I'm not even talking about turning over a new leaf. That is good. It won't get you to heaven. I'm talking about by faith, acknowledging that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and Jesus paid it all, and you're going to receive him by faith. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed this morning.